Hi, this is Pastor Wilson with Renew Church OC. Thanks for joining our podcast. We're walking through the book of Luke, thinking about what it means to follow Jesus, to see the world the way he does, and to integrate his patterns into our life. I hope you enjoyed the sermon today. I also want to point you to the description section where you can find the church's website. We would love for you to visit our church and consider investing in our ministry. There's two other links. One is a podcast I do with a therapist at Renew Church, and we kick around issues like dating, mental health, and friendships. And lastly, there's a children's book series and a journal that I wrote with my wife and my mentor, and we'd love for you to look at those resources as well. Thank you so much for being a part of the Renew Church family, and I hope that you enjoy the sermon today. God bless. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. Um, I have the privilege of sharing God's word with you today. It's a two-part series. So last week, we went through a framework that we'll go back to from John Mark Comer about formation. And um, if you missed that, we have a podcast on our resource page that goes through all of our uh, old sermons. So if you feel lost, it's okay. Just uh, go ahead and and watch it, and you'll get caught up. All right, when I think about... um, how we're introing our time together. Oh my gosh, I don't have my PowerPoint pulled up. Give me one second. I was just sitting there enjoying the video when I could be setting up. All right, here we go. So when I think about the pandemic, and that was a video recorded over 2020, uh, we couldn't meet in person. We had to stay far apart because of COVID. Um, We used the top part of the parking lot to do drive-in theater about once a month. To, to worship together and to preach God's word and to share a space together. And it was so precious. I think things that we took for granted, um, year in and year out as a church, we, we stopped taking it for granted and we held those moments really closely. But pandemic also reset our idea of what church is. For a lot of people, we, we told them, you know, pastors told them, go to church in your living room. Go to church by going to YouTube. Go to church online. And when we were able to do that over 2020, we kind of asked the question like, can that count forever? You know, can we always do church in our living room, in our PJs, on our phone? Because that's a much easier expression of what it means to go to church. So today, as we go through, again, our vision, looking into this next year, I want to do, a pr- I have a pretty big task I want to take on, which is reframing what it means to be a Christian and what it means to go to church. And I hope that as you work with me, that you'll, you'll rethink what those two concepts mean, words that we use all the time and have taken for granted. So in the next slide, The word Christian has only really been used three times in the Bible. Uh, Once by Luke and Acts, or twice by Luke and Acts, and once by Peter. And the literal translation of Christian is um, little Christ. So it's talking about people who, who you see Christ in. But the word disciple instead is used 281 times. So even though we use the word Christian to describe ourselves, Disciple might actually be a more accurate concept. In the next slide, when we think about what it means to be a Christian, um, I I think I moved that slide down. Let's see, the typical definition of Christian. 
um, in slide eight. I think about it as often an identity marker, like something you put down on your dating profile to say, hey, I can date you if you're also a Christian and I'm a good person, right? Uh, it could also mean that you go to church once in a while or that your family is Christian. You grew up in a Christian family. Your mom, your grandma are devout believers, therefore you're a Christian. It could mean that you pray to receive Jesus at that retreat or in that service or at the altar call. It could mean a set of beliefs that you hold. You hold the Trinity to be true. You hold salvation by grace alone. Again, typical definitions of what it means to be Christian. Um, it could just mean that you relate to the category Christian above and over other categories of being atheist, agnostic, Buddhist, or Hindu. But again, when we look at what it means to be Christian biblically, those words don't, those concepts don't really apply well. It's, a, it's speaking about being a little Christ, representing Christ, and being formed to be like him in a way where people can identify Christ in you. And then the word disciple, again, used 281 times. So let me talk about what it means to be a disciple in the Jewish context. And Pastor Dave has gone through this before. I got a lot of this section from my friend also, Tom, um, a, a church in Buena Park. Grace Hill. All right, so if, you're a, if you want a better version of this sermon, you go to his church. Um, when we look at Jewish education, the literal translation is house of the book. And when, if you were a joy, Jewish boy or girl, you would go to the house of the book from the age of four to 13, and you would study and memorize the Torah. So this was the bulk of your education for nine years, studying and memorizing the first five books of the Bible. At the age of 13, uh, girls got married off, and then most boys went to learn their father's craft. So if your father was a carpenter or farmer, if they herded sheep, you would learn how to do that and help your family in that occupation. But the boys that were the, the sharpest, the most learned, the most studious, the cream of the crop in the house of the book would move into the house of learning. And during this period, they would learn the rest of the Old Testament, the writings, the prophets, as well as the books of poetry. And then after a, a period of, of time there, they would go then seek out a famous rabbi and ask to be the rabbi's Talmudim, which means disciple. They would go to different rabbis, they would sit in front of them for a lengthy interview, and the rabbi would discern whether this person was good enough to be their student. They would quiz them on different Bible passages, asking them to recite long uh, parts of, long sections of scripture. They would go in a back and forth dialogue about different interpretations of the text. And they wanted to know not only what you've memorized and what you've understood, but your mental acuity how well you can think critically and continue to progress this rabbi's teaching and thought. So most of the people who approached a rabbi would be sent away. They wouldn't, they wouldn't be worthy of this rabbi's time. But the very few disciples the rabbi would take on, they would say the simple phrase, follow me. And following the rabbi was the greatest invitation to a disciple. So discipleship, when we understand it from the Jewish perspective, means being formed and following a rabbi, allowing the rabbi in the way of 
of living life together, going where they went, eating where they eat, sleeping where they sleep, going to the synagogues and hearing their teachings that are well constructed into discourses, but then asking them questions on the road or at dinner or before you sleep, you're, you're in the rhythm, the thoughts, the life of the rabbi. So discipleship is defined by following and being formed by the rabbi. And when Jesus um, appears on the scene, people see him as a rabbi. That's how they understood him. He's a Jewish man. He's preaching at synagogues. He's giving his own interpretation of the Torah. Out of the 90 times that Jesus was addressed, 60 times he was called rabbi. That's how people understood him. And then when he approaches his disciples, he says what a rabbi says when he invites someone into being a Talmudin, into a disciple. He says, come, follow me. And there's a lot of people who follow Jesus, the 12, and then there's many who did not, who, was, who were too busy with their business, who had family obligations, who were distracted. This following Jesus is defined by denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following him. It's leaving your whole way of life, your old community, your old rhythms, your old purpose and occupation to take on a new way of life, a new community, a new ethic, a new purpose. When we stop and we think about this label Christian and we create a new category, a reframing, and we don't ask, am I a Christian in, in the spectrum of definitions, but we ask, have I taken on Jesus' invitation to follow him in the understanding of, of a disciple during that time. I think it would change our concept. We would understand that following Jesus isn't simply an identity marker that's stagnant or still. still. That Jesus saying, doesn't say, can you pray this prayer? But he says, can you shift your life into a different way of living? He's not asking whether your family is Christian or how many times you go to a synagogue or a certain set of beliefs. He says, come and follow me. And to clarify, I believe that, you know, John 3.16 in the Christmas sermon, the gospel and salvation is the most accessible gift that God can possibly give while respecting our human will. I'm not questioning salvation, but I am questioning how we think and conceptualize what it means to be a Christian. The other caveat I want to put out there is that discipleship is not primarily a one-on-one -on -one relationship. That's often how we think about it. Like, who's discipling you? Who are you discipling? Coming out of a crew background, serving at Epic, that's a lot of how uh, they term it. But when we think about discipleship in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus says, go and make disciples. And in the Greek, there's these suffix, there's suffix where at the end of the word, there's, there's these different short letterings that attribute that word to the subject or help arrange the grammar. Because in Greek, uh, the gra grammatical form of a sentence is not, is not as rigid as it is in English. They'll take a word and place it in the beginning of a sentence as a way of emphasis. It's pretty cool. It's kind of like having a highlighter as you write. You could highlight a word and give emphasis to it. 
So the word disciple in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 in the Great Commission is, is prescribed to the person of Jesus. So when he's saying, go and make disciples, he's not saying, go make disciples of you. He's not telling Peter, go, go make Peter disciples or John, go make John disciples. He's saying, go make disciples of me. Have people come and follow me. When we think about Paul, he doesn't call Timothy a disciple in his writings to him. He uses language of equality, of co-laborer, of brother, and then he defines relationship as a father to a son. But he doesn't use the word disciple. There's also problematic application because when you, we understand what discipleship is through the writings of Jesus, and he says things like lay down your life, sell everything you have and follow me, leave your father and mother. And we've seen poor application of that uh, with like very culty churches that in this discipleship relationship, they're asking people to follow in those ways. So we are instructed to care for one another as families, including older brothers and sisters mentoring or instructing younger brothers and sisters. There is spiritual authority of uh, teachers and elders, of mothers and fathers of the faith. But uh, in my reading of God's word, we don't apply discipleship in a narrow, top-down relationship, one-on-one. So how is discipleship, disciples formed uh, after the leaving of Christ? God creates the church to make disciples. What does the, what does the disciples do after Jesus ascends to heaven? They go to Jerusalem, they preach the gospel, a bunch of people become Christian, and then they don't make like an Amway chart, right? Like here's who follows who. They create churches. Paul goes from one city to another creating churches. So it's in the church that discipleship is formed. And again, that's, that's bucking a lot of our typical definitions of church. It's not primarily a building for Sunday service. It's not just a place where we sing worship and listen to a sermon. It's not a, a group of Christians coming together to become friends. God created the church to make disciples. And that's a pretty big statement. Because when we think of discipleship as a forming of our souls to become like Christ, and to love him. What we're saying is that we come to church as the primary mechanism for formation. Like when you came to church this morning, did you think, I want my, for- my, my soul to be formed? When you go to small group, when you engage in each other, are you thinking, I'm gonna form your soul and you're gonna form my soul so that we love Jesus more, so that we follow him better, so that we become like him? So that's a pretty radical invitation it's, it's not an invitation, if you're coming to Renew, to come more to more Sundays. It's not an invitation to come and serve in one of our teams or to just be friends. It's an invitation to be formed as a disciple. And the way that we form you will have a different texture and nuance than the churches around us, right? So, so we have to be careful with which church we go to because they're part of our formative journey in becoming like Jesus. So we're gonna take the John Mark Comer construct and superimpose it into some of what we're talking about here. So, and and I, I think it applies well. That we want to form you into disciples by practicing the rhythms of, of Jesus. We talked extensively about that last Sunday. But we also believe that community, church family, defined by the Lord, is a forming process to become like Jesus as well as teaching 
and obedience of God's word. The word obedience is off-putting. It almost sounds like a cuss word to us, but it's in the Great Commission, teaching them to obey. <laughs> so I don't know what to do about that. And then lastly, that the, how and why we do it is so that the Spirit of God would infuse practice, community, and the teaching of God's word, allowing us to be formed by him and love him. So in the next slide, uh, a quick review. We talked about unintentional spiritual formation, um, how the relationships we are in, the stories we believe, the habits that we form unintentionally end up creating us. So, but instead, we want, instead of falling into relationships, we want to define family in Jesus. That's intentional spiritual formation. Instead of our habits creating us, we intentionally practice the way of Jesus into rhythms. Instead of allowing society to dictate the stories we believe, we let the Bible be omnivorous, meaning that it's a story that swallows all the other stories and narratives in society and Netflix. Instead of being swallowed into the environment, we ask the Spirit to envelop us. So last week we talked about habits and habits in relationship to the other three parts of this graph. Today we're going to talk about relationships. How, how does a relationship form us? And um, what is God calling to us to as we think about the local church? In the next slide, let me read this passage from you, for you from 1 Corinthians. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what does righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Baal? Or what does a believer have in common with the unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. And God had said, I will live with them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. And I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters. So here we think about uh, the command of who we're relating to, who shapes our value, who do we listen to, who is it that we want to be accepted by. And Paul exhorts us to allow the closest relationships in our life, the relationships that define and mold us to be Christian. Now, I have a lot of non-Christian friends. I hang out with them weekly, and I really love them. I've been a part of their life. We play a lot of sports together. I go to their birthday parties, and uh, sometimes they have other parties, and uh, we have a great time. But at the end of the day, I know that I'm different from them. I know that I'm submitting myself to God's word in conversation and how I relate to them. And even though I enjoy their presence, and I, I even listen to their advice at times, there's a hard limit to how they can help me become a disciple of Jesus. If the core of my life, if my life's purpose is to follow God, to love him and to be formed by him, there's no way my non-Christian friends can form me towards the Lord. The best advice they could give me is some, you know, is a maybe pseudotherapy article they read uh, online or from an influencer. The best um, comfort they can give me is a listening ear or a beer, right? That's all, that's all they can do. They can't make me love Jesus more. In fact, some of their greatest gifts are 
even in the good can just become idols of, hey, seek this for comfort, seek this for direction, seek this for purpose. And that's why God calls us into being bonded with one another, letting our relationship in this room and the other relationships you have with those who love the Lord be what shapes you and defines you. So here are some of the ways that God is calling us uh, into family with one another, uh, calling us to define church. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 20, uh, 48, verse 50, the, Jesus asked, who is my mother and my brothers? Then he pointed to his disciples and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus is redefining family. He's redefining his closest relationships to those who love God and are doing his will. So I wonder in your life, do you have your church friends in like this really siloed category, but the friends that you really relate to, the friends that you share your greatest sorrows and laugh with are people who don't know the Lord. Jesus is saying that our closest relationships need to be the family that God's chosen for us. So these are the ways that I believe God's called the church to form us. Again, much bigger than showing up on Sundays, much bigger than listening to a sermon. There's, I remember sitting at a church and hearing this guy, I asked him, oh, what do you like about this church? I was visiting um, and it's been a long time. And he says, I love the preaching here, but I love the worship at this other church. So when it's this pastor, I'll come here, but when it's not this pastor, I'll go to that church for worship. But when this church's worship band doesn't play and this pastor doesn't preach, I go to this third church where I'm like, I like their pastor and their worship team, but not as good as these first two churches. I'm like, that's cool. <laughs> and it's easy to think about church like a restaurant, right? Where's the best service with the best price, with the best food? Instead of thinking about these commands that God's calling us to that he's calling us to love one another. Like, can we look around this room and say we love the people around us? Because that takes work and investment and vulnerability and trust. But what does John, John 13, 35 say? By this, everyone will know that you are my, my disciples if you love one another. God calls us to confess our sins to one another because the prayer of a righteous man is powerful. That confessing our sins, loving each other, forms our souls. It allows us to leave the addictions and the things that are toxic in our heart. It allows us to turn away from shame and guilt and to receive God's forgiveness and grace in an audible way through one another. A lot of times people leave church because they're in conflict or they can't forgive someone. And I've had so many of those conversations as a pastor over the years. And what I want to tell them is that you're, you're at the cusp of being formed by your brother and sister. Like you're at the cusp of what church is supposed to do. That it's in conflict. It's in the rubbing against one another. It's in being sinned against or sinning against someone that we learn to forgive and reconcile and change and transform. It's, it's in those spaces that we form our souls to become more like Jesus. We're never more like God than we, when we forgive. Shepherding in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 12, the next slide. This is my life verse, by the way. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls. Next tattoo. And will give an account for their work. 
Let them do this with joy and not with complaints, for this would be of no advantage to you. One of the reasons why we do membership class is I don't, you know, this shepherd relationship is both ways. And there's people who come through and it's totally cool to just check out our church and see if it aligns with your vision and values. But we don't have a shepherding relationship, right? You haven't entered into a relationship with me, our elders and staff, where you're saying, I want your voice in my life. I want you to give me advice. I want to, you to help me discern certain things in my life. I, I, I want you to have permission to call me out on sin or to place me in ministry or to remove me from it. In our membership class, that's part of the commitment that I'm making a commitment to you to guard you. And there's a, a level of accountability I have for the doctrine I preach and the way I shepherd you. And then there's a, a, a commitment you're making me to me as well. Um, to shepherd, to mentor, and to be family. So God's called us together as a family to have older brothers and sisters in the faith, to have mothers and fathers. That's why we really ask our women mothers of the faith to preach because we need to hear the voice of our spiritual mothers um, and to have them speak into our lives. Lastly, to serve each other um, and to serve together. In, in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Verse 12, it says, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all of its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. And then Paul goes and he lists the spiritual gifts. And what you'll notice is that none of these gifts are for you. Like God gave you a gift to give away. When he gave you hospitality, it wasn't for you to host yourself, right? It's for you to open your home so that uh, people who were strangers become part of your family. When he gave you the gift of teaching, it wasn't for you to teach yourself. It wasn't, when he gave you the gift of encouragement, it wasn't for you to encourage yourself. Every gift that God gave you, service and leadership, is for the betterment of the body, and their gifts are for you as well. That's how the church uh, forms us. Those are the ways that the church is supposed to cultivate disciples and shift our soul. And then the second point, we'll hit on it briefly, are the stories that we believe in unintentional formation. So we are hearing stories all the time in our podcast, through social media, in Hulu and Netflix, stories about what makes us happy, stories about what success is, sex and sexuality, about politics. And then there's stories we've told ourselves about feeling worthless or helpless, about needing to prove yourself or how no one wants you. But when we are intentional about our formation, we are careful about the content we consume. If it's from the world, we have a filter and we make decisions on what we believe and disbelieve. And then we come to the Lord and say, God, would you allow the Bible to be omnivorous, to eat all the other stories? We're, we're starting a, a study of how we got the Bible by Zach. Uh, next month in February, it will be a three-week course. And it's going to talk about nature and authorship, what's the purpose of the Bible. Uh, if the Bible was written by humans, why do we say it's God's word? About transmission, manuscript, and criticism. How can we trust the Bible in week two? And week three, it will be about the canon, canonization of the Bible, how we've compiled it, and why we believe that these are the books that are inspired. When, I, when we go to small group, when you hear me preach on Sunday, I'm coming with the presupposition that you believe the Bible is authoritative 
that you believe the Bible is inspired. And I don't go back to those premises. So if you're wrestling with that, this is an amazing class to take. Zach is, uh, was the teaching pastor at ED3 Fullerton, has an MDiv, and is a teacher at Southlands in Bible and Theology. But let me just give a quick add-on to that as we think about teaching, being intentional about teaching. And that is that I, I want us to be very careful about editing the Bible. Something I feel like people do pretty often in our society, and some of it's just us being a victim of postmodernism, where our truth is greater than all other truths. Our lived, ex lived experience and our interpretation of that experience informs even scripture. And so there's ways that I've heard in conversation people do this literally, right? This person who's deconstructing their faith says, I believe that every experience of love is God. Not that it's from God, but that that exchange of love itself is God. And I'm like, that's cool, but um, that's not out of the text. And then another person told me that God's not actually angry or judging the nations in the Old Testament, but that he was seen as angry because the authors uh, had this pre-existing paradigm of God borrowed from other you know, heathen religions, that God would be angry. And so what she's saying is that um, the authors misinterpreted these events for God judging these nations. When you make those statements, you're placing yourself above scripture, right? You're saying that, you're saying that you have more authority than the authors, and you get to superimpose things in the text that aren't actually there, or you get to cut out things that you don't believe. And once you do that, I'd rather, this is my challenge to them, and I say it much nicer, I'd rather instead them say that they're Christian, that they're borrowing Christian content to create their own religion. Because I think that's a more true um, statement for what they're doing. If they get to place themselves above scripture, then they're just editing content, adding what they think is correct, going superimposing their beliefs or the cultural view on, on the text. Instead, when we look at Matthew chapter 5, it says, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke of a letter will pass from the law until everything takes place. Jesus himself validates all of scripture. Even the most minute details of like the dotting of an I, if you will, that he's saying that scripture is more dependable and more stable than the earth itself. And then in 1 John chapter 5, verse 2, this is how you know that, you're, that you love the children of God. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commandments. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. When I think about what it means to be a disciple, it's this invitation to follow Jesus. It's an invitation to learn from him and become like him. And it feels like a oxymoron when we say we're a Christian, we're a follower of Jesus that doesn't follow Jesus, right? We're a follower of Jesus that is gonna just pick and choose the lifestyle and teaching and rhythms that we implement into our life. In 1 John, he's saying that we can identify ourselves as children of God 
because of the way we love the commands of God. The commands give us the path in which we know how to follow the Lord. It shows us what's out of balance, and it's, it shows us what's in step with him. And we, we end up having the Spirit give us the desire to keep, a, keep his commands. He reorients our hearts so that we love following the way of the Lord, and his commands are not burdensome, but a way in which we love the Lord and follow him. All right, in the next slide, let me just give you one or two examples as we close off our time between going from unintentional spiritual formation to intentional spiritual formation. I think the most potent example for me is sexual addiction. This is something that has been a part of my life since, um, since junior high. But even in early elementary school, I was exposed to um, explicit images. And this is like pre-internet, right? You actually have to have a hard copy of something in your hand. If you wanted a video, you had to go behind a curtain, stand in front of a cashier. I mean, the barriers were pretty immense. And so if you're a parent, I just want you to know, like, the accessibility is, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of times more easy. And to be careful about how every device in your house. But anyways, I was exposed at, as an early age and as the internet developed, my addiction continued to develop. And I think about the habit of that in my life, how it took over so many different seasons of feeling depressed or in pain, to being excited, to being bored. It became um, a, a rhythm in my life of relief or, or greater excitement or a, a painkiller. And I think about the relationships I had in high school and college and even now of people who very easily, you know, joke about porn or encourage it um, and encourage, you know, sexual acts with women and as many as you can, the objectification of women. There's, if you, once you leave this place, right, and you're with your non-Christian friends, it's pretty prevalent. And then the stories we believe that it's okay, it's normative, and sex outside of marriage is, is totally fine. We live in an environment that supports that. We live in the porn capital of the world. And, and it's hard to understand the type of oppression we're under by living in LA and OC. But I'm really grateful for Roy Kim, Jonathan Whitmore, and many friends in my life who built a community that um, even if we didn't talk about explicit images, my old friends from, at church from junior high and onward, we wanted to save ourselves for marriage. We wanted to, to be a one-woman man. And even in my life now, when I have friends who are always looking around, even though they're married, I have friends in the church that I'm bonded to, that I identify with, who, are, who honor women and say, how, do we, how can we live a life of faithfulness to our wife? How do we value her and see her as beautiful and keep our eyes on her? Is there any other environment that we have that holds those ethics and desires those things um, outside of the family of God. I think about the teachings that I've consumed over many years of fighting for sobriety, of learning how to uh, safeguard my devices, of understanding the power of sex that is supposed to be a way in which I mark my wife and she marks me. It's not just body to body, but it's soul to soul. It's us becoming one in every single category. And it separates my experience 
with her from all of my experiences with other women, right? They're miles apart instead of feeling very similar, like moving in with your girlfriend and playing house and having all of that marriage experience and then breaking up. I, I, because I abstained from those things, my experience with all the friends I had that were female and my wife are miles and miles apart. And now it's with 10 years and, two, and three kids. Um, I think about the practices of locking down every device, and I talk about that pretty openly. But that includes the yellow circle, right, as Roy talked about, things that will wrap me up uh, for addiction, even though it's not explicitly addiction. So easy examples for me would be Instagram or um, TV shows that have nudity. And then the Holy Spirit in that whole journey has helped me to not do it for the sake of doing it, but do it for the sake of becoming like Jesus and loving him more. So that um, in this next passage, right, we become, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to, to the Lord. This is your, spirit, your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This, then you will be able to test and improve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's our, it's our act of worship toward him our greatest act of worship, but it also enables us when we don't have addiction in our life to do the good will of God. It frees us to do God's will. Let me give you one more example of that. I was sitting with Liam at Burger King before school, and we ordered ham croissants um, at the corner booth. And it's a really important time for me because my dad used to do that with me before school. Uh, in first, second grade, he would take me to Burger King, we would order ham croissants, we would sit in a booth, and, and when I was a kid, I have such great memories with him there. And once in a while, he would ask me, Wilson, this is my first time being a father. How can I like, do a better job? Is there anything I can improve on? Which is an amazing question for like, a first-generation gener Asian dad, right? So I'm sitting with Liam, and I ask him the same thing. Liam, how can I be a better dad to you? And he said, you're doing great. And I was like, oh, man, so great. Okay, so if you could pick one thing, how can I improve? He said, it'd be nice if you didn't blow up as much. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that's, that's something. Um, and again, I think about how, how my character was formed unintentionally, that there was habits growing in my, in my heart for uh, being upset and frustrated very quickly. There was, um, in the environment and relationships that I grew up in, people could become angry very fast. It was kind of modeled to me. And maybe there was this belief that it's okay. They'll get over it. It's not a big deal. But as Liam confronted me with this, and there's, uh, my wife has talked to me about this as well, very graciously, I, I've become much more conscientious. And the practice of silence and solitude, of slowing down, being quiet before the Lord, inviting him in, I try to apply that when I'm interacting with my kids, right? That we're, we're rushing off to something or they're not transitioning fast enough or they're not listening the first time. I'm like, okay, let's do silence and solitude in this moment. Can I take a few breath prayers? God, help me not to kill my child. God, help me not to blow up, right? Um, so much of my anger and frustration is because I'm rushing. So in that moment, just to slow down and pull back, and to say, they're good kids, they just need some time. And then I've started to think, what if being kind and patient is more important than all the other things I'm trying to do in that moment? What if being kind and patient is more important than getting to the car 
in two minutes instead of five? What if being kind and patient is more important than um, rushing to school? Or for many of you, rushing to church, right? You don't feel that. You come whenever you want because you're trying to be kind and patient to your child. What if being kind and patient is the most important thing? And so I've been trying to use my practice of silence and solitude, of breath prayer, to just elongate that space of feeling upset, of rushing, and saying, you know, let's take time to slow down, to quiet my heart, and to care for my child, and to say that this is more important than all the other things. As we move into our small group time, um, I have a few breakout questions. So how has reframing discipleship or church challenged you? Like how, how has those concepts, how are those concepts different than they were uh, from the one you were holding? And what are some parts of discipleship that you want to form through teaching community in a more intentional way. Let me pray for us and then we'll take communion together. Father, we thank you that you are the one that forms us, your spirit. And we, uh, this morning, take the invitation to follow you. And we ask that it would be gracious and humble and kind that as we stutter and stop, as we go backwards, we are grateful that you're always with us that you always beckon us back, that you always um, invite us into forgiveness and into repentance and into following you again so that we can become like you. And so this morning as we take communion, as, remember, as we remember your death on the cross, we thank you for always a second chance this morning to start over, to take the invitation again, to continue in the journey of becoming like you and loving you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We're really grateful that you'd spend time listening to the sermon series. And we also wanted to point you to a few other resources. My wife and I wrote a children's book collection helping kids bridge their faith with God's calling in their life as a businessman, as a doctor or nurse, and as a creative. Secondly, we wrote an adulting journal which helps young adults think through this transition into adulthood, whether it's transitions in friendship, family, faith, or calling. And lastly, I want to point to a podcast that myself and another church member, Roy Kim, who's a therapist, co-hosts together. It's called The Same Boat. We talk about relationships. We just finished um, a series on dating. We think back to an English ministry church, and we just tackle all kinds of topics that are relevant to our life. I hope that uh, those resources enrich your life as well. And lastly, if you're looking to partner with us, on our website, we have a give section. You could give to our general fund and continue to serve our church through, um, through partnering with us financially. But if you scroll down, we have quite a few local missionaries that have called Renew Home. If you read their bio, there's also a section to give to each one of our local missionaries. We hope that all of them would be fully funded going into this year. God bless you. Thanks so much for being with us and uh, hope to, hear, hope to uh, have you join us again.